Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast not afraid to discuss that episode of Family Matters when Urkel gets saved. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. I'm the worst of all possible AJ's. What hell that's, is this? That's a real episode, by the way. It'll be more important the more we get to know Eugene because it has some parallels, but yeah. AJ, Urkel, we are taking Urkel you. turns himself over to the Lord. For like ever or just for an episode? Oh, of course forever. That's how it works. I thought Urkel was always... Ju- I mean, I never watched Family Matters because I didn't like have a TV growing up, but uh-huh. I always just... that That's why I listened to so much Adventures in Odyssey. But yeah. wasn't like going to church just a part of family matters was it was it or am i like way on left field yeah the the winslows are baptists okay uh eddie makes that clear but steve urkel lives in a household where not only are his parents completely ashamed of him basically don't acknowledge his existence Mm -hmm. sure but they're uh like neuroscientists and therefore godless they don't believe in god at all like eugene like eugene except that uh eugene's parents are Dead. Right, but it's the same. Uh, it's the exact same story. And then there's an episode where they bring Urkel to church, and he's in his very first service, and then he testifies in front of the congregation and gets saved and turns his right. life over to Christ. I've definitely seen at least a small part of that episode. I just assumed the whole show was like. Hey, that. friends, what are we doing here? What are What are we talking about today? Well, we are here to talk about once Season again one of family matters that's uh, right adventures in odyssey no, if we're not talking about season four of family matters why we should not be talking i want to talk about urkel we're talking about um <laughs> album what are these off of brian album three album four of well adventures in odyssey? Uh, album one and then i think it's album four the albums don't put everything in chronological order right uh, or in you know air date order but this involves the first album like the towards the end of it uh, we're going back to the episode before the episode where we flashed back to Jenny's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, a two-parter with uh, John Avery Whitaker's grandson, Monty Whitaker Dowd. Relative of Elwood P. <laughs> yeah, somehow he's older than Whit. Alongside that, we're going to be looking at uh, a two-parter called Connie, which is, of course, about Connie Kendall, who we met last time around, the noted agnostic California teen. Which is also our introduction to Eugene Meltzner. Right. Let's talk about a member of the family, since All that right. one comes before. And I think it's worth... Uh, exploring wit and his relationship to his adult daughter. Yes, yes, his large uh, adult daughter. <laughs> she could mu- she could not be more adult. This daughter, we can't distinctly adult. How much distinctly yeah, adult, adult daughter? Exceptionally large. She's like, so uh, adult. Lady she like think Clifford the Big Red Dog, but for humans. <laughs> Clifford the Big Red. Jenny the or no uh fuck it disaster <laughs> is it Jenna I actually was Je- very no, unclear Jana. on her name Jana 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 that was Jana, me. the big red daughter of John Avery Whitaker so out um, of the biological Whitakers the ones that yes. we know exist mm-hmm. there's John mm-hmm. Jenny Jana Jerry Jason Jenny the granddaughter and then Monty Jason. right. So, a member of the family, this is a deeply bizarre experience listening to again. I had not really remembered very much of the details of this. Me um, neither. <laughs> it's wild. And the These old ones just don't have the re-listening value either. They're just not as good, and the incidental music is very grating. Uh, it's I terrible. I actually thought that, that, the, that the very top of the episode, the theme that we're brought into, that's uh, not the regular theme song, but like the first theme, it sounded uh-huh. like vamping for a musical. I thought this was going to be a musical <laughs> episode, which is why you chose it. Um, is there only. a musical episode of Odyssey? Do they ever do a full I don't, song? There, there's one where they go Christmas caroling. Oh. I don't think though, like count. a full on musical comedy, I don't think they've ever done. Well, it. Avengers and Odyssey, if you're hiring, uh, <laughs> I'm throwing out my pitch there. Fully sung musical episode where Wit confronts his inner demons. Uh, <laughs> give me a call. It's called Naked Boys Singing. Um, <laughs> so, we, this the actually of the is <laughs> the, the, God damn it. Uh, I'm sorry, the, I'm sorry Josh. No, we're giving the, we're giving you the conch. Okay, thank you for your support. We're going to have to cut some of this. My penis. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I want to, but then AJ keeps coming up with bangers. It's great. Put it in your ear. Put it right up to your ear there. You can hear the ocean. 
your penis? <laughs> yeah, baby! <laughs> uh, right now, we are in an, a, a special circumstance. AJ mm. is in the echoey place, a mm -hmm. mythical land where everything echoes. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's in New Hampshire right now, opening a pinter play. The Granite State. And so now we are in New Mexico, New Hampshire, and New York. We are representing all three new states in the union. How about that? Oh Whoa. shit! Holy yeah. shit! You're That's in awesome. Nuevo Hampshire, and there are only three states that begin with the word "new." That's that's the truth. There is not a fourth. A Member of the Family Parts 1 and 2 is an episode that fundamentally deals with a few things. Um, the first thing that it deals with is actually Wit's inner demons. Um, and we yeah. come to see some of these throughout the course of the episode, and we'll get to it a little bit. Um, the second thing that it covers is uh, how to handle a terrible little shit of a child. And then uh, mm. the third thing that it handles is, of course, corporal punishment. When the mm. episode begins, uh, we are pretty much opening right at the airport. And Wit is there with his good friend, Tom Riley, the almost impossibly... He, he's like Jethro Clampett, but dumber and old. Exactly. And... Interestingly, as the show goes on, he becomes less that way. But in yeah. these early episodes, he is such a hick. Anyway, yeah. we're at the airport and Wit is going to be seeing his grandson, Monty, for the first time in three years. It's a long time for a kid. It's a long time for a kid. And Wit's daughter has also uh, divorced her husband. It's sort of implied that the kid is you know, maybe in a bit of a state as a result of all of this domestic it's upheaval. Monty touches down and Tom wants to actually pitch this kid on joining the Little League team, which is a team that sucks ass. The Coyotes. Monty is not into the it. The Coyotes team. in the Midwest, which why would they be the Coyotes? <laughs> Are there Coyotes in the Midwest? I mean, to that's be fair, actually I did really see point. one in Michigan once and it was rooting through some uh, trash that's cans. That's actually something that Charles Lummis, it's really interesting if you read some of his ethnographic stuff from the 1880s, 90s. Uh, he collects some uh, I'm going to go out and do stories. just that right now, Brian. I'm going to go out and read his writings from the 1850s. How do you, how are you <laughs> reading this? I'm from New Mexico and it's all public domain and it's on the internet. You dumb nerd. Wow. Wait, so, wait a second. So <laughs> but in those books at the end of the 19th century, he actually has to define what a coyote is to his Eastern audience reading that. That's incredible. It's the, the California influence in this episode, I think, is incredibly strong. Yes. I didn't realize that Witt's family was originally from California, that they originally lived in Pasadena and then moved to Odyssey. I thought he had kind of been born in Odyssey, raised there and like, you know, was like a real like tree and pillar of the community, but it turns out he came from Pasadena uh, at yeah. some indeterminate time ago. But back to Monty, Witt's grandson. Uh, real I, piece yeah. of shit. I have a clip. Fuck um, that, Kev. Of just the first example you get of Monty and just why he sucks so bad. Yeah. Huh. Is that all you had with you on the plane? Yeah, I've got movies in here. Movies? You do have a VCR, don't you? <laughs> no, Monty, I sure don't. Oh, well, that's no problem. I guess we can always rent one. Can always rent so, one. So, uh, you've become a movie buff, huh? So he's this worldly, you know, fucking piece of shit kid. Right who watches, get this, fucking movies. Not listening to the good wholesome radio. No, and John Aver Whitaker doesn't have a VCR or cable television, uh, which to uh, Monty is unfathomable. But you can get those in Odyssey. You can, you can. get VCRs and cable if you choose to, but there's so yes. many other cool things to do in Odyssey, like getting on your knees in the back room right. of Wit's End and giving yourself praying up to, to the prayer. Lord. Praying, yeah. Just right. praying right. up to the Lord. Right. Uh, we'll get to that in the well, Connie episode where I uh, flipped a table midway through <laughs> listening to. Well, I, I do want to establish something. Odyssey is set in Ohio. Like, it's a little ambiguous, but it's Ohio. They're in Ohio. Oh, I didn't know that. And, um, there are a couple episodes that really hint towards it, and I think there's, like, promotional materials early on that say it's in Ohio. Uh, the town has about 30,000 people in it, hmm. and the closest big city, like, metropolitan area, Connellsville, is only about 30 miles away. So this place is not just some dusty small town. It's not podunk backwater kind of Ohio. Yeah, which it gives the impression, especially in these early ones, that it really is just kind of out in the middle of nowhere, like it's Glorietta, New Mexico or something, but uh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, it I mean, really does feel like its own little bubble. Yeah, that's probably why it costs so much money <laughs> to uh, buy the community center. Yeah, it, it just an absurd amount of money. Let's talk about how much Monty sucks. He's <laughs> he awful. He really like, sucks. Yeah, he watches movies. Right. And the movies presumably are why he sucks so much. It's not that yeah. he's it's not that he watches movies because he sucks. It's that he sucks because he watches the movies. The right, movies it's turn the 80s him into and the movies are dog shit. Right. Right. Never ending story, like whatever the f- labyrinth. Oh god. Right. Okay. All I of these to, movies I are to like labyrinth a lot, but we'll we'll, we'll yeah, guess but we'll fight is it about good, that later. AJ, and does it does it teach you good values? It does not. Oh, it does not. No, I see. I see what's happening. <laughs> yes, no. Um the only thing I learned uh from the never ending story is that horses sink. Right. Yeah. And then when you do that scene with a real horse it, it dies for real what so monty's like a real piece of shit <laughs> yes. um and uh here's yeah, the, and he keeps cranking it up he does like he's a real piece of shit but i think it's a testament to wits like utter diabolical character that i was rooting for monty within about five minutes of meeting him. yeah i wanted him to wreck wits fucking life <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and it's also a testament i think to wits unique character that the thing that really puts wit over the edge is not uh this kid refusing a pizza and eating nothing but brownies instead um doing the thing from the uh beginning the 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 musical intro to black and white by michael jackson where he's like yo eat this (laughs) like basically doing that well wit is of course on a a one-sided phone call no it's that wit on the one-sided phone call uh learns that he lost a jacket that has 100 dollars in it that is the thing that puts wit right the fuck over the edge Wit is not horrified either that Monty was so irresponsible that he lost that money. He... He's like frightened of the fact that Monty had access to a hundred dollars. Right. No child should have that kind of power. And he like assumes Monty stole it, and they could have made it so that Monty stole it, but no, he's like, no, I have a savings account because my mom's a fucking banker and she's teaching me like fiscal responsibility. Yeah. And uh, it's my own money. And Wit's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> but if if he has the but if he has the money, how can he beat him? I right. mean, then he can just. Buy a bus ticket to get away, you know. Yeah, he has to trap him or, and make sure he's solely reliant on him. Or just a fucking movie, but he needs Monty because he always needs low or completely unpaid physical labor. That's exactly end. right. Um, <laughs> what is the business model of Wits End? Like they have to be like just plummeting in the red. No, no way. It's the flea theater of ice cream shops. Oh, it's a training opportunity. I, I think I, the I sense that I get about Wits End is that the like. Costs of capital, I mean, again, the whole reason it came about is that Wit was able to acquire their building and the land on it uh, using money that existed within his holding company. So, like, he is not having to pay fixed costs. The building was paid for in cash, so they're able to just make money off of services, and they sell a fuckload of soda and ice cream. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the building's fully paid off. Holy right. shit. Josh, I'm going to need you to make a spreadsheet for <laughs> the finances I'll build, I'll build of a all little, sorts of different odyssey yes, endeavors. Build a and we'll have to adjust for inflation as we go because right. this show is yeah. like 30 years long. Um, anyway, setting the sort of financial... Do you think Wits End survived the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, Wit actually spent a lot of money to get hydroxychloroquine to every house. <laughs> okay, so they're all safe. They're all 100% safe. Um, <laughs> Most of it was aquarium cleaner, but still, if you're if you're careful. <laughs> so once we uh, see the situation, then with uh, Wit taking that one-sided phone call, at that point mm-hmm. we start we start to see uh, angry Wit. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you can hear in his voice. You can hear it's it's a, it's actually a very believable performance. Um, if you've yeah. ever seen an angry old man. That's the thing. And it's really, really unsettling. Yeah. Wit then, you know, he sleeps on it. Next morning, gets up, says, all right, you know what? You can sweep the stock room. If you sweep it up, I'll pay you three bucks. That'll be the money that you can use to go to the movies. Uh, Monty says no. He bitches to Wit about it. He bitches to himself about it. He calls his mom to bitch. And then he goes to the register and steals five bucks and goes to the movie instead. Fuck yeah, Monty. Right. And the register... So I'm I'm gonna play this whole. This is a two minute long section. Hell yeah! But it's it's actually how this plays out. The, I shortened the transition just a little bit because it was two pieces of music going into commercials and coming back out. Right. But other than that, I haven't shortened anything. 
and it does cut right to wit after administering corporal punishment. Uh, I also like this scene because it introduces us to Wit's male employee named Jimmy. Yep. Who exists in this episode, and that's it. And then he's just gone forever. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was Brian. like, this isn't, this isn't a guy. I don't know who, who, the this, who is, is this guy. Brian. It's like this weird scene where he's like, who are you? He's like, I'm Jimmy. <laughs> I work here. Brian, Jimmy went through the no-no door. <laughs> that's where all... Okay. Of the one-off characters in Odyssey go, they they try and open the no-no door. <laughs> let's uh, let's hear it. Are, are you having some trouble with the cash register there? Uh, yeah, I can't get it open. Grandpa told me to get five dollars out to go to the movies. Oh, well here it's real easy. You just press this and this. There you go. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Sure. Have a good time. <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> he has like a slight twang. <laughs> Monty, do you understand why I had to spank you? Right to it. I was like, whoa! Come here. Nobody ever spanked me before. Nobody. And I they don't tell me it. what to do either. Uh, then I must seem like a pretty mean person to you, don't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm you're a your story. Oh, no. There was this little boy, see? Oh, boy. And for his birthday, his folks gave him the cutest puppy you ever saw. It's just the monologue from the Pillow Man that Jeff Goldblum does. Couldn't sit still for a minute. They also gave him a red leather leash for the puppy and told him to be sure and keep the puppy on the leash whenever he took it out for a walk. The boy promised. And they're going to give me sweets. Off they went together to the park. Gotta walk. Gotta walk that puppy. Ran and played and rolled in the grass and drank water out of the fountain. That's delightful. Oh, they had a wonderful. This is such a lovely puppy. Such a nice. I love a good puppy story. Puppy because he was on a leash. Okay. Then he began to think about it. Wouldn't yeah. it be mm-hmm. better to let him run free? He oh, thought. yeah. Well, yeah, why not? He's why not? Wouldn't it's have a puppy. not worry about getting tangled up in the leash when we right. run. Yeah. And I won't yeah. have to keep tugging him back when he heads in a different direction. Right. I'll bet that right. collar hurts his neck. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. So the little boy thought himself mm-hmm. right out of what the What was that about a collar? And he let his new puppy run free. Okay. Oh, did good. did that puppy ever have a good time? Mm-hmm. He ran in circles. He chased his tail. He chased a squirrel up a tree. Here we go. He scattered a flock of pigeons. Here we go. Then he ran into the street to chase a delivery truck. What? Well, it happened so fast, the boy couldn't stop him. He heard a Wait, car what? honk and what? a screech of brakes. Oh, no. What? It was all over. Oh, oh no. Puppy. Oh, God. Well, he didn't make it. Oh. <laughs> Whip kills a dog. So, um... To be like, this is why I fucking hit you. Yeah, no, no, you stupid Truly, fucking kid. This, that whole monologue to me can be summed up like thusly: I'm allowed to hit you because a puppy died once. Right. <laughs> and then, and then he continues on. This conversation continues on for a little bit. But he's like, whose fault? Exactly. Is it? And it's well, it, it's not the driver. It's not the dog. Well, it must be the kid. Uh. So that's uh, why I had to spank when, you. Really, in this case, this child sounds very young. Yeah, it's actually yeah. It's the, the parents', parents fault. fault. It's the for parents' not fault. supervising their child. Right. There, there's a. Yeah. There, it's one of those things where you're presented with like a false uh, dichotomy, a false choice, and the real choice just was never mentioned to begin with. This is uh, this is like directly James Dobson stuff. This is straight out of Dare to Discipline. Dare to Discipline is less about making the case for corporal punishment specifically than it is for making the case for just disciplining your child at all. And of course, corporal punishment is part of that suite of disciplinary acts that you can carry out against your child. So Dare to Discipline is not making the argument throughout that you have to apply this certain amount of discipline as opposed to this amount. He always weighs everything that he does and recommends against parents who just do the mamby-pamby, uh, Montessori, like, let them make their right. own mistakes kind of thing. There is no third option. There is no middle ground. Right. He has woven in the idea of corporal punishment with the idea of discipline on its own. Right. It's 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 the it's yeah. the idea that it is not possible to prescribe any sort of parameters for behavior or do any sort of like corrective or advisory action unless you are willing to also exert physical yeah. pain. And so most of the things that James Dobson actually is like arguing for or arguing against um, make him sound really reasonable because he's like, well a child's not just going to know it's in their best interest. 
a child is always going to test the limits because that's what small children do. And it's like, yeah, that, of course that is. They're learning but he's the already just kind of, you know, slipped it in, right. slipped in that idea of, yeah. of corporal punishment. Uh, the thing that really pisses me off, I think, about this entire exchange, I think the most, um, I wrote in my notes, this is fucking despicable because it is. <laughs> um, but when Wit says, it's not like I derive pleasure from this. And it's so clear that he does. Oh, he does. It's so clear that he gets off on this shit. And I feel like that's such an underlying thing with a lot of like spanking stories or a lot of corporal punishment Uh stories is that it's like, oh, I really don't want to do this, but you're making me do this. I'm like, no, you're doing this to make yourself feel better. And honestly, for the child. Yes. And to to that point, I think that in part two, which we're going to get to in a moment, that much is pretty much explicitly stated that at least yeah, from his daughter's that, perspective, yeah, he got off on it. Yeah. So I have this little clip from the end of the spanking scene that just, it's its very threatening. Now, if you make me, I'll yank on your leash again. As hard and as often as I have to, if uh, that's what it takes. Oh, God. Jesus. If you can learn to trust me and be honest with me, I guarantee that we can have a real good time this summer. It's it, and horrible. Hal Smith horribly really can't even sell that, even as gentle and folksy as he can make his read. Yeah, um, that it just makes it more. It's all terrifying. Yeah, it, it will, because right. you know what? What advocates for the idea of corporal punishment will often do is they'll separate it from physical abuse, where someone just hits their kid without reason, or just hits their kid because they're angry, right? Because the idea of corporal punishment that they push forth is that you don't do it while you're angry. Uh, you do it as a regimented thing, right? You set up the reason, you dish out the punishment, and then you make it clear why you did it. Why that doesn't work is because it's still an act of physical violence on a child. Yeah. And a child doesn't really give a shit about reasoning, which yeah. is something James Dobson acknowledges, right? Child, the a child's reasoning is not really at play here, which is why the Mamby Pamby stuff doesn't really work very well either if a child is misbehaving and also like from um, from a purely logical perspective if you think about it given the framework there's no reason that the sort of corrective action needs to be an act of physical pain <laughs> like if if the point absolutely. is the framing absolutely. why do you have to hit the kid that like that, that doesn't that doesn't track with the internal logic of the arg it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense well and the child is not going to associate that action with getting the pain right this this is well documented psychological stuff yeah. this is stuff dr spock was talking about like half a century ago the child associates the parent with the dishing out of that pain if the pain is not something that they receive as a consequence for the direct action right where it's like I jumped off of this brick wall and then I, you know, broke my ankle. Right, right. They're not going to jump off a brick wall. If, they, if I, t- like, touch, I you touch the, the burner wall, uh, on the stove, yeah, that's why you don't touch right. the burner on the stove. It's fucking hot. But like, right. my parent saw me almost touch the burner and then slap me on the wrist. I'm just going to think, okay, don't let my parent see the right. next time I do right. it. Right, right. Um, so kids become far less trustworthy of their parents. Um, they end up. Uh, if their parent is not immediately around, their behavior does not adjust in any way. Um, it does, it, at least positively. And it does uh, incline them towards violence more. And it also, uh, associ- like if a kid feels like they've been wronged by another kid, it makes them think, well, the the way to correct that is through violence. Yeah, I mean, they, they, call, it, they right. call it the cycle of abuse for a reason. Yeah. I, I wrote at, down at the end of this episode, I just need someone to read wit for filth, and I know that it's never going to happen. And then, it kind of did happen. To my, to my absolute surprise, it kind of did. Yeah. Because we see the ramifications of that cycle of violence, yeah. but there is a very large asterisk <laughs> but at the end and of this, it. Th- this is the interesting thing, because like ideologically, the, the episode is on Wit's side, right? It's that he's a person who makes mistakes, but he's correct here. Yeah. Yes. Paul McCusker is a very strong writer and he knows how to write with like characters and their histories and motivations. He's the strongest writer for the whole series. I I really agree. This second episode was really quite good. I think it's the first good one I've listened to. So Josh, Josh, do you want to run? Why don't we let's kind of pivot over to that. So just just to wrap up part one, um, once Wit, uh, you know, tells uh, Monty that he'll yank on your leash hard and often. <laughs> uh, this actually, Yikes. Sh- yeah, I know. This actually um, shapes Monty up like 
literally fucking immediately. Yeah. We we cut to them a week later. And he is a perfect angel, and he's on the baseball team. And not only is that he sucks. on the baseball team, his skill, his skills in center field have somehow managed to win them the title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> despite the best efforts of Heather Bolock and her just being the absolute biggest loser in the history of the yeah. Coyotes. Yeah, Heather, I'm coming after you. Your dad worked yeah. for Halliburton. Um, Fuck you, Heather. Just, just insane shit. So I think Tom says she's the best little loser he's ever seen. <laughs> Which, you know what? When he said that, I kind of pictured her just standing like a little off camera with a single balloon that slowly deflates as a single tear rolls down her face i'm like yeah you deserve it your dad is a war criminal heather so uh wow okay mr altman i didn't realize you were on the podcast when when we um so during this celebration which again it should be noted wit's making a cake and everything there's a dumb thing where he needs to change it from saying cojotes because it's a j it looks like a j because there wasn't enough frosting terrible bit um josh Um, i'm gonna disagree with you i think the cake not saying this side up was a moderately okay joke and I chuckled. So in comes Jana Whitaker, daughter of John. Daughter of John Avery Whitaker and she's showing up because earlier on Monty had called her uh, over long distance. Wait, and, Josh? Yes. What did Monty do? Monty had called her on the phone. He what? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, and oh, it's so good. He what? So earlier on, Monty had called his mom and over long distance told her that Wit uh, had taken the money. That was he hadn't lost it. He hadn't lost his hundred bucks. Yeah. Wit had taken his money away from him and had forced him to work as an indentured servant at Wit's end. So it was still like thirty percent true, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like true, true. And so yeah. uh, mom shows up then because she thinks that her dad is abusing her son. And um, correctly, and uh, he and then Monty says probably the only like believable line in the whole thing in terms of like the things that kids say which is like they're going back and forth and back and forth and she's like i love you and he's like but grandpa loves me more which is like completely believable and then and then monty goes and says that's just how much the spanking fix right and then and then monty goes uh over to over to wit and says i think you need to spank me again because my mom is mad (laughs) and then Jana confronts wit and it's like what have you done to my son and then that's sort of the cut and then we begin part two where wit and Jana are just going at it why did she sound like count chocula (laughs) I don't know. Why not? And so, my baby boy. Hey, I would just like to take this opportunity to say that I uh, auditioned for Count Chocula recently, oh. and I did oh, not right. get it. Bummer. Um, and it, it it has absolutely well, devastated me. So well, thank you, fuck Brian. You General Mills. Yeah, we're coming after or you. Post or whichever one you are. Creators of Frankenberry. We're going to cancel uh, yeah. that cereal company. First, you put the shrimp in the cinnamon toast. That's crunch right. At your plant in Albuquerque. That's a real you thing that you actually did. did. That is a real yes. thing you did. <laughs> totally real. Totally you upset Topanga. And you have to live with that for the rest of your days. So when I read about what the, the Cinnamon Toast Crunch guy had done in his career, I said, He what? <laughs> can, we, can we actually have that anytime anybody gets canceled? Like we have a new sex scandal and we just have that play behind it? Ideally. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Jana and and Wit immediately get into it, and I, I, I don't honestly. To me, these episodes felt like they were written by two different people. Yeah, like polar opposites. So I have I have this first Jana Wit conversation. You hit Monty. I didn't hit him. I spanked him. There's a big difference. Well, not to me. You know how I feel about that kind of thing. Well, you and your brothers didn't come out any the worse for wear. Is that what you think? Now, you, listen to me. Don't you see? He was testing me, testing his limits. All I did was make sure his question got answered. And that was your answer. Yes, it was. Oh, man, I, I like the, gritted teeth. It's a, God, that's it's a growling. So it's a scary. very like real grounded. Uh, the dynamics of the situation are grounded and believable. Uh, the performance that Hal Smith gives there is like 
it's it feels like he's holding so much back and it is coming from a place that is uh, organic to who his character is like there is extreme dysfunction in this relationship that goes all the fucking way back um and i think that's telegraphed so well in that scene they have a terrible relationship it's not that she sucks and he was good this is a yeah. bad relationship that broke a long time ago, and you can tell from this moment. This allows the conversation not to have a winner. Sort of sort of like the conversation with Robert Altman yeah. in the Vietnam episode. Right, right. While there's still like a clear ideological perspective that supports one character over the other. Yeah, and um, I would just like to say that um, I know I've been ragging on wit a lot, but I don't want that to be confused with the actor playing wit. I actually think... Uh, he mm-hmm. is doing an excellent job, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think I reacted so viscerally to this episode, and especially that line where he says, "You know, through gritted teeth," um, that I, I don't know. I, I know this guy. I've met this guy mm-hmm. before. I've seen this mm-hmm. guy get this mad, and it was very, very realistic. Um, and and so this conversation continues. I've just had it with you passing judgment on me. Nothing I do pleases you. You criticized my friends, my work, my hobbies, my marriage. Let's not forget my marriage. You had plenty to say about that. And then you criticized me for getting a divorce. And now it's my son. Did you hear that, Dad? My son. Let's try to keep that straight, shall we? So what she's articulating, I mean, he, he made it clear. Like, Monty's issue is that he has no structure in his life. Right. Everything's been upended by his parents' divorce. You haven't met his sister yet. I don't know if we'll play any more of these Janet episodes, but she she's like perfect. Hmm. And Monty is the fuck up. And so he's like clearly at this point, this transitional point where nothing makes sense anymore. And he doesn't have any grounding. And it's also pretty clear from this conversation here that Jana similarly did not have any grounding when she was young. And these are the result of what's going on with their parents. Right. Yeah, right. And so it's the result of what happened with Wit and with Jenny. And she felt by the wayside and she couldn't ever find any way not to just be constantly criticized by her father. Right. Yeah. Didn't even like her high school friends. And that's clearly stuck with her because even her boyfriend, then husband. No, he couldn't have any of that. Then they got divorced. And well, that's just not a Christian thing to do. Right. What are you going to do to your kids? Well, you right. didn't like the guy. You thought he was bad in the first place. Right. And you wouldn't stop criticizing. There's no me way to it. do yeah. right. I think there's it's, no there's no way to win. I think it's really yeah. it was a really ballsy choice to write this in this way, because what yeah. I was expecting to happen was that, you know, Jana would be portrayed as happens in many of the other episodes of Adventures mm-hmm. in Odyssey, the woman would be portrayed as just being like really like hysterical and irrational. But honestly, in these yeah. fights, wit is the one who's irrational. Um, yeah. yeah aggressively so and tom calls it out too. yes and he's but yeah. he's still in denial of the irrationality that he carries around with him because he's unwilling to swallow his pride and admit that actually in the way that he raised uh these kids he actually might not have done it all correctly yeah yeah i think that this still gives him an out maybe it's just because i i i, I want to be uncharitable to the writers of this show um i think this gives him an out because his sin is not, at this point, we find out a little bit more later, but at this point it's not neglect. It's not that he's adversarial, it's that he's judgmental. Mm. And of course what we know of Wit right. at this point is that he passes judgment on a lot of things because he's correct. Right. Yes. And yes. so in 100%. part she's doing things wrong. She's not a bad person, but she's doing things wrong. And he has told her that she does things wrong, which still kind of allows him to get a little bit less of the blame from that. Well, I, I also think that this episode really drops the ball in the last few moments. Um, I agree. Wit's, Wit's apology isn't an apology. Yeah. And she kind of accepts it as one. It, it, it reminds me of On Golden Pond a lot, which is a play okay. that I absolutely fucking despise and a movie I absolutely <laughs> fucking despise because it's the moral of that isn't your you should strive to be a better person and make amends for the wrongs you are it's just no you can be old and racist and treat your children like shit and they just kind of have to put up with it and apologize to you because you're old and that moral 
is is basically how this episode ends. I don't want to get to the uh, ending quite yet, but I think you're exactly right, AJ, that like it, it really this is an episode that I think is the first one of the ones we've listened to, at least that like has actual dramatic craft to it. And then yeah. it it raises the stakes, raises the stakes, raises the stakes and seems to be going somewhere. And then it just kind of drops mm-hmm. the ball. So to, to go to go through a little bit more of what happens then, you know, I think we've talked a bit about the dynamics of what these fights look like. They're very, like we said, very believable. Um, Wit has a conversation with Tom Riley and he, he says, you know, I really don't know what's going on with Jana. She's unpredictable in a dangerous sort of way. And Tom immediately shit checks him on that. He's like, yeah, like, really, yeah. really, dude, like she's the problem. And, and Wit still can't figure out why it is that she is so mad at him. And I wrote down, well, I don't know, maybe she's mad at you because you beat the shit out of her when she was a kid. And now you are apparently meddling in her relationship with her own son at least from her perspective, just a thought, just a thought. I know, but it's, it's a very smart use of Tom though. I will say like to credit mm-hmm. to the writers here, that is actually a brilliant use because, you know, as you said, he's sort of a hayseed, yeah. but you get the sense. What I love about this episode in a way that a lot of the other episodes don't actually, that I've listened to so far, haven't quite lived up to is it hints at a whole world in Odyssey that we are never going to see mm-hmm. uh, that there are, that Tom might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but goddamn, he sees everything. Like yeah. he sees everything. And um, and and you'll see you'll see as Tom develops as a character, he does become more of the the wise hick than just the silly hick. Right. But I mean, I don't even need him to be wise. I just need yeah. him to, like, be able to see things as they are. Uh, yeah. Which he's able to do. So I, I think beautifully in that scene with him and Wit. And, and Tom also actually has a lot of history. <laughs> I mean, There's a I'd lot assume to it's backstory. 30 years. I mean, this is like yeah. Simpsons yeah. level. Like, I'd yeah. say Odyssey and Springfield probably have equal amounts of lore to them. Am yeah. I wrong about that? No, honestly. Uh, no, you're not wrong. That's exactly yeah. it. It's the, this is, this is evangelical Simpsons. <sighs> <laughs> I just did the Lisa face. That's the meme online of just staring into the abyss. That's the face I just made. Jen and Wit come back to talk to each other again. And this time it is at... Uh, Wit's house because Jenna's like, look, we got it. You know, I got to take my kid home and um, they start fighting again. And once again, this scene, it, the, the dynamics, it, it's 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 exactly how fights really are. It's just hitting the mm-hmm. exact same like points of grievance over and over again in slightly different ways um, because that's what it is. It's it's like you're fighting yeah. to try to score points and you, you can never score yeah, they've points. They've done this for like 20 yep. years now. And, and they all, they already know how to finish each other's, you know, sentences and uh, get in the points, just the little needles that they know are going to hurt each other. And then uh, Janet's like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go up and take him, you know? And uh, he's not there. We, they go then to the, uh, the, the sheriff's office office the police station <laughs> no the sheriff's house where the, the sheriff, sheriff lives the sheriff's house you know the, the, the deputy's clinic uh, um. and, and and uh once they get there uh they learn that um monty ran out and when he ran out he broke into he actually like broke some windows uh at wit's end did yeah. some property damage i'm and, so worried um, about monty and there's a wonderful moment here, too, <laughs> that I just loved, just from a, <clears throat> one of those wonderful, terrible moments in writing, where uh, he goes, <laughs> Wick goes, hi, Fred, that's the sheriff. <laughs> it's, it's, like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's literally the police. That's who you are. So good. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is literally that. I actually, I will say, quarter credits, too, I actually really like the voice actor who did Fred. I thought I he was very understated. Yeah. Um, I did miss Inspector Gumshoe, though. Uh, from from yeah, before, uh, Detective Harley, who yeah. is now gone. Right, they've they've killed him. He's he's dead in the ground. Uh, but Harlow Doyle. <laughs> but yeah. well, he went through like the no no phaser. He was like he yeah. got transmogrified. Exactly. Um, Except that the transmogrifier is also something from Adventures in the Odyssey is used exactly in one episode and never heard from again. <laughs> um, even though Wit got the idea for the transmogrifier from a literal angel. What? Okay. Anyway. What? Okay. So we can't we can't go into that yet. We, no, we absolutely can't, can't we go cannot. into that. I know. I know. I just I just like setting a few things up for AJ. Uh, I didn't wait, remember angel, that point angels either. Angels are real? 
Angels are real they and they're are. cool. Haven't you read the Bible? Yeah, angels are real and are cool and they are my friend. But but are they yeah. human or are they like the thousand no, they're eye, angels. Like actual angels no, in the Bible? They're angels. <laughs> yeah, well like like angels in the Bible with like the million eyes and like the thousand gaping maws mouths and the little tiny wings. Well, Wit does do some gaping. We already That's right. They all buzz so <laughs> um, so at this point, <laughs> behind the behind the uh, imagination station is just a box th- full of poppers. <laughs> I, I thought I thought I thought he was a big sounding guy. I thought he just oh, really loved. <laughs> no, that's Tom. Yeah, oh. that tracks. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no. uh, at this point, now that you know Monty has like actually done out, gone out and done at least a couple hundred dollars worth of actual property damage. <laughs> um, Which, at the rates Wit pays, will take... Oh, a lifetime. 30 years to pay uh, off. Yeah. At yeah. this point, the question does finally arise. Is Jana going to dare to discipline? Mm. She goes up to him first and talks to him. Wit's not there yet. Monty eventually spills the beans. You know, the whole reason he did the thing was he was upset because mom and grandpa were fighting. Um, and also he's pretty salty, uh, at his, at, at his own mom because she has been not there for him in the way that she needs to be, uh, has been bringing a lot of guys around. Um, it's just like not a responsible situation. And, um, I mean, I do think that there's something interesting in the way that Monty brings up her boyfriends that the episode itself is actually not judgmental. No, like. Yeah. The show takes a really interesting stance towards divorce where it's like, it's of course something you don't want to do. Um, the, the family portraits at some point we'll get to the pilot episodes. They are, they have a couple of really like divorces, just the worst tragedy ever kind of things. Right. But it's not judgmental of characters who are divorced. And Jana is far from the first or the last to be on that show. Right. Connie's mom is also divorced. Yeah. Yeah. We learned that in uh, in the next two episodes. Yeah. So yeah. Wit shows up and and stands up for right. his daughter right. against his shitty grandson. Right. <laughs> Fuck that kid, man. Showdown. His fucking 10 year old in 1987 whose name is Monty. <laughs> um, well, his first name uh, is C uh, and his last name is Burns. Burns. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, yes. And, and, and then, and then, um, you know, she says thank you, and he says, "Oh, what for? I, I was just meddling again, right? Like, just has to get in that little needle again, um, <laughs> which is again fucking. Great. It's real though. It's real. Um, yeah. I think that the way that that particular thing like was voiced, it felt a little bit too reconciliatory to be real. But yeah. you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And then we get this monologue. This monologue is word salad, by the way. Uh, go ahead, Josh. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there's a reason I didn't get the clip of it. Yeah, it's way too long, and it's hard to navigate. He pivots like three yeah. times. Anyway, go ahead, Josh. I, okay, so here's what I'm gonna say. I actually thought that this monologue worked pretty well for what it was because yes, it's world's word salad. Yes. It's extremely disorganized, but in that moment, so is wit. He has not Mm -hmm. in any meaningful way come to terms with what actually happened. He has clearly never opened up to his daughter about it. And honestly, it sounds like he hasn't really opened up to anybody about it in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. He still has all of these conflicting, frustrated feelings. And he bounces around from talking about how, you know, he wanted to move to Odyssey so that, um, you know, this, his kid could have an idyllic life before he maybe potentially would get drafted. But also, uh, if he did get drafted, then, you know, that would be a thing. And also just all of these different, conflicting priorities and desires and feelings and he just kind of all of this all of this came out of jerry right dying right in vietnam right right it's sort of it's sort of this like ordinary people thing yeah where wit is mary tyler moore <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god yeah yeah and and i i thought <laughs> like think about that yeah it, it really it I forgot just how much the older episodes use Jerry as a device. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mean that to denigrate the device. I'm, but like his death constantly comes up as something that really like fundamentally fractured, uh, wit right. and his family. Yeah. I mean the, the ordinary people comparison is extraordinarily apt. Like that's, that's the thing that nobody can get over. Um, yeah. yeah. I do think that, to go to the point of like how much are the characters given leeway to like or how much should the show make excuses for characters or put its finger on the scale i do think that 
the writing uses the loss of Jerry and the subsequent loss of Jenny um, as a little bit too much of a like the only reason that things are this way is because of these inciting yeah. incidents yeah. as opposed to how right. things usually work, which is where these kinds of incidents accelerate things that have sort of already been happening in some way. Mm-hmm. But yeah. even so, I I found that monologue um, to be, was it perfect? No, but it, it, what, for what it was, it worked yeah, for the, me. The one place for me where it chickens out is where he says, I, I didn't show favorites. It wasn't that you weren't my favorite and that Jason was or something like that. But like, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. He that's exactly favorites. what he gave Jason all the attention. Cause he was just like, this kid's going to get drafted in a couple of years and then he's going to die. That's him lying to himself in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. True. And, and the other thing was that Jana got into anti-war stuff. After. And we already know how wit feels about anti-war activism, but it was interesting that when he talked about it here, it was gentler about the anti-war mm-hmm. stuff like mm-hmm. he was just it almost seemed as though wit understood why mm-hmm. she did it right uh yeah. which is something we really don't see in the anti-vietnam episode yeah uh but see very prominently with, with here. the kid whose dad died on a day where no american soldiers died yeah uh. <laughs> when he was eaten by the zombie horde that exactly. had overtaken <laughs> saigon yes of course as we and all then, know and Jana says uh, which i think is an incredibly like honest line uh, she's like, I thought you just didn't like girls, which is brutal and yeah. kind of beautiful. It's also very um, in character for and, who Wit is. Like, and yeah. you have to understand, yeah. guys, that I have been, I have been waiting so many episodes for someone just to drag Wit through oh, the yeah. fucking mud. <laughs> so this was Christmas for me. Yeah, I mean, we'll get well, to the actual Christmas episode a little yeah. bit later, but Maybe. this was my Christmas. Yeah, I don't know if we'll talk about them, but I could send you the other Jana episodes because. They never actually get along. Um, eventually, they just kind of get rid of her on the show. She doesn't appear after the first couple seasons, but they are always just constantly arguing with each other, no matter what. Which is a real dynamic in, in a lot of families, and I think that's yeah, very no important. No matter how many times they apologize, no matter the fact that he has now hugged her for the first time since she was 12 years old. There's the line she has um, that we played a little bit earlier. Well, you and your brothers didn't come out any the worse for wear. Is that what you think? And I just, I had this very visceral flash of her having conversations with her siblings. Or like comforting them after they've been beaten by wit. Uh, And like actually seeing the ramifications of this, quite frankly, very dangerous man. Yep. Uh, No more so than for the cult he's starting, which we can (laughs) talk about with fucking Connie, his greatest disciple. Holy shit. Yes. Before we get there, though, let's wrap this one up. They get that real hug. Jana then, of course, does dare to discipline. She does not through corporal punishment, but by setting boundaries. Um, And, you know, and and indentured servitude. it, It ties a bow on it a little bit too neatly, I think, because also this is something where in real life it couldn't be wrapped up. It would always be messy. But they had to figure out a way to, like, conclude it so they could go to Chris and Chris be like, there's a lot of things that are difficult sometimes, but God helps. Um, I like that your Chris sounds like a Jim Baker's wife. Wow, that's good. Uh, I, when uh, my Chris is Sonic the Hedgehog, unfortunately. Oh. Um, you know, sometimes uh, things in life can be a little complicated, but that's okay because you have God on your side. Gotta come fast. Uh, um. Oh my god, did I say gotta come fast? You said gotta come fast. Yeah, you did. Oh god, I meant to say gotta go fast. Now I'm just imagining some sort of like Sonic by way of of VeggieTales, which is what should have happened from the very beginning. It's time for for silly silly songs with knuckles. We are the pirates who don't do anything. <laughs> um, this episode, to me, feels like the first time where rather than just being like a cutesy, largely based on like this thing happens, and then this thing happens, and then this thing happens. This is a character-driven episode in a way that yeah. I don't think we've really seen yet at this yeah. point. This has an arc. Mm-hmm. Everything yep. connects. Uh, it has difficult conversations yep. in it where people don't win. Yep. And in part um, two, at least, I think it does a reasonably effective job. Um now yeah. let's talk about a character-centric episode that is not yes. well-written. Right after this break. This week's episode of Wit's Endless Summer is brought to you by... Now we know that 
that the Bible is the true word of God, and because of that, there aren't any mistakes in it. And yet, we still have two almost if anybody finds this tape, my name is Jimmy. My name is Jimmy. Ain't that the darndest thing? I can't remember my... Why can't I? I've been wandering the hallways for a few days now. I think there's some kind of labyrinth under wit's end. Time seems different down here. My dad's old wristwatch stopped a few hours ago, and that battery was supposed to last 30 years. So, that's not good. I tried to make my way back to the no-no door, no, no door. But I keep losing my sense of direction. And, and I think the walls may be shifting. I feel something may be following me. I keep looking over my shoulder. And there's never anything there. Whatever it is, it must breathe when I breathe. And blink when I blink. I can hear its wet mouth smacking. But that's okay. I got God on my side. And as Mr. Whitaker always says, with God's protection, there's nothing for you to... What was that? Oh. Oh my gosh, it's you. Ain't you a beautiful sight? Are you lonesome, friend? You look mighty lonesome. Come here and get a nice big hug from your friend Jimmy. Beans. If you're going to eat something, eat some fucking beans, I guess. I don't know. This has been a preview of our premium episode, Wits Endless Summer Part 2, Urkel Gets Saved. If you want to listen to the whole thing, check out our Patreon, where you can listen to the entire episode, where we talk about three more episodes of Adventures in Odyssey. As always, we are presented to you by our sponsors, not uh, beans, but our patrons on Patreon. Uh, like Octavia Immersive, Dominic Russo, Nate Netsley, Ben Ferber, Aeneas Hemphill, Benjamin R. Alford, with a special thank you to Nikola Donov and Ashley Stoneman. Have a good day.